You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. So there is a ton of information to get through just to introduce this series. This is... uh, a really, really, really big series. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's big in the sense that there's just there's a lot of foundational work that has to be has to be laid, has to be understood because so much of this is built on uh, these foundational truths uh, that found in Scripture that are uh, pivotal in this house specifically. So some of this stuff you will hear repeated on Sundays because. You'll hear the the general aspects of some of this on Sundays just because so much of this is tied into who Sundown Church is. Um, So anyways, uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to get back and discuss this ministry that has been so prevalent and so profound within this church and this community uh, for 15 plus years. Uh, Lord, so we're just so excited to to begin to introduce a new group of people to this understanding. We pray that it would reach far and wide and not just uh, be known, but that it would be received and then put into practice. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, uh, this has been one of the most profound and pivotal ministries of this house for the last 15 years. Um, Just without question, everyone that is a staff member at this church has walked through this ministry as a recipient of this ministry and then has also led this ministry themselves and walked people through it. This is what ran. This was Randy's primary focus when he was here was was the education and further understanding through revelation of this ministry and then walking people from all over the country through this ministry. So profound, incredibly important. Uh, I don't know. A lot of the people that have been here for at least five plus years have walked through this this ministry for themselves. So uh, it's a profound ministry. I am one of those that benefited. I talked about it on Sunday. I have been the recipient of truth and revelation that started here and or that was revealed here and understood here at Sundown Church. Long before I knew Sundown was a place in Texas, long before I knew this church existed, long before I knew any of its people, I was a recipient of this ministry. I was, my life was changed, my life was transformed because of this ministry. So really excited to just start to teach this again and go through this. We come back to this every, every year or so and just make sure that there's a good foundation of understanding. Um, But deliverance and the ministry that comes from it is not simply for a pastor, a pastor or individual member to do. This is for the entirety of the church. Um, So much of what a pastor does is not just for a pastor to do, right? There's, um, as far as within the vocational responsibilities, there are those here at the church, of course, for, for, for me, the head pastor to handle, but... This is a ministry, just like the ministry of reconciliation, which we'll read in just a second. This is a ministry that is for every believer to partake in and to lead out in their own stories and in the stories of those people around them. So anyways, we're going to start in 2 Corinthians. And again, this is just laying the foundation uh, 
for this teaching uh, that will last for the next several weeks. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. So, the message of reconciliation has been given to us. This ministry that Jesus created has been given to us, to all believers. It's not been given to the clergy. It's not been given to Bible study leaders. It's been given. Anyone who calls Jesus Christ Lord and Savior has been given authority and opportunity to lead out the ministry of reconciliation in their stories to all believers. It is for all of us to partake and to lead And deliverance is found within this ministry of reconciliation. So it is for all believers to know and to partake in. So, uh, simple question, and this is where we're going this evening. I can't talk with gum in my mouth. I'm just going to end up spitting. Um, What is deliverance? What is the deliverance ministry? And to answer this question, we need to understand some basic truths First, Uh, the first truth I want us to start with is in James 2. This is uh, verse 14 through 26. This is the faith without works passage. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace... Be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way... Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now faith, we know faith produces fruit. And the fruit that it produces, as we just read, it produces evidence of what our faith is in. All faith will produce evidence of what your faith is in. So uh, this is a question that we've answered several times, but how does faith increase? Faith increases through encounter. And encounter with who? Obviously, we know this answer, but it's an important question to ask. Encounter with who? Uh, Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And the word, word in that passage translates to rhema, which is the spoken word. So that's why hearing... The present tense of hearing is here in this verse because he's not talking about 
hearing somebody read the Word of God, the, the physical Word of God, the Bible. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about hearing, actively listening to Christ as He's speaking to you in the moment. Actively listening to the words that He's speaking. The spoken word. So as you spend time with God and listen to Him speaking to you in real time, faith increases because faith increases through encounter. So faith increases when we spend time with who? When we spend time with God. But who, who are we to Him? And I'll answer that with Romans. There's a lot of scripture. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not waiting on anybody to flip there. I apologize Write it down because we've got, we've got so much scripture to go through tonight. Uh, Romans 8, verse 12. Who are we to him? Romans 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are his kids. This is who we are to him. We are his kids uh, making Him our Father, our Dad, not just our Heavenly Father. Uh, it's important for us to get past the, the respect. And, and listen, stay with me for a second because don't check out with that one statement. Um, to get past this kind of holy, off-in-the-distance Father and recognize He's not my Father, He's my Dad. Like he, is, he is the first Father I've ever had, the only one I'll ever need. He is Dad. Um, he, he, is, he is our Father, not, our hev- he, not just a heavenly Father. He is in the flesh. He looks at you as His child. As I look at my sons, I know He looks at me in that way. But He looks at me in that way minus the imperfections that come with me. So if I, if I can look at my kids and without question know that I will love them all the days of their life and I would give every breath that I would ever take from here on to them if it meant that they would live long, happy and joyful and profound and amazing stories, I'd give it to them right there in that very second. If me, an imperfect father, an imperfect dad can feel this way towards my children, how much more does he feel towards me? Right? It's important for us to recognize that, that we are his kids. And I point this out because faith increases as we experience our perfect father, our perfect dad. Uh, See, throughout scripture, the Lord reminds us over and over of two things. Constantly, this is a trend throughout scripture. He reminds us of two things. He reminds us, Old Testament and New Testament, who he is and who we are to him and in him. He constantly reminds us of these things. And he reminds us that we are his children, his chosen people. So the first thing that we need to understand to be able to understand deliverance is that this is not a book of instruction. This is not a how to be a Christian guide. That is not what it is. And unfortunately, that is how the church has viewed it for far too long. This is not a book of instruction. This is not a book to tell you what to do. This is a book of identity. This is a book that is meant to tell you who you are. Because when we understand this, Scripture starts to make 
a lot more sense. In James, faith produces the works, but it's faith rooted in truth. If I just have faith that God is God, like I've not done anything, I don't have, that's, that's not any amount of faith that's going to draw me to change my life, but only through relationships with him, encountering him, encountering his heart for who he is and the truth of who he is, and then encountering the truth of who he says that I am, does it produce change and then produce works? But there are a lot of people that have faith enough to say that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, but they have no works, so their faith is dead. Because the amount of truth they know is so small compared to the fullness of truth that God intended for us to step into. And so again, but when we look at this, when we look at the passage of James from the perspective of identity, then we understand that the faith produces the works, but it's the faith that is rooted in truth, in, ident in identity, understanding who we are in Him. This produces works. We also need to understand that we are made for fellowship. We need to understand that this is a book of identity, and we also need to understand that we, as human beings, are made for fellowship. We are not made for uh, loneliness. We are not made to be alone. We are not made to be off on our own forever and ever and ever. We are made for fellowship. First Corinthians. Uh, this is an obvious one, uh, but we're going to read it anyways. First Corinthians 12, 14 through 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And in Ephesians, this is one of my favorite verses of all time, Ephesians 4.25, just because of the last, uh, the last sentence, the last part of this verse is Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We are made for each other. And we are connected by the Spirit together to operate in the establishing and the building up of the kingdom of heaven on this earth together. It is so important for us to understand this and so important for us to believe this. There is not a single Christian on this earth that is meant to go it alone. Not a one of us. So uh, to believe that, to think that, uh, to feel these things, to feel like you just need to to do this Christian thing by yourself behind closed doors where no one would know and, and not engage with the church is just a lie because that's not true. That's not found in Scripture. You are meant to be united with the body of Christ. And the enemy knows this. The enemy knows the significance of the body of Christ united together. The enemy knows the significance of sons and daughters united in the leading out of a kingdom uh, together. He understands this. He knows that our power comes from our being connected to the Father and to one another. Not just because you can't be truly connected and truly in relationship, deep, uh, truthful relationship with the Lord and not be connected to your brother and sister. If you're divided from your brother and sister, that division started somewhere else. 
It started in your relationship with God. All things stem from that place because we were created for that place. So if we're created for one thing and that's relationship with Jesus and then we have an issue there, we're going to have an issue everywhere. That issue will flow. So if there's division with your brothers and sisters, then there's division between you and the Lord. The enemy knows that we are meant to be connected to the Father and to one another. So what does he seek to do? we got to understand the enemy is a, a, a prowling lion. He is looking uh, to, uh, he's, look, he's looking to destroy, uh, what, oh my gosh, I just blanked. Hmm? Thank you, my goodness, I could not, I was like, I, I don't know what I was thinking, I was just sitting there blank. I knew what the answer that comes after that. He's looking to steal, kill, and destroy through fear, doubt, and division. That's always what he's doing, fear, fear, uh, doubt brings, gives life to fear, and fear gives life to division. Okay, so if, if, and, and doubt gives life to division. These three things exist together. You will, you will never find, if I'm on the roof and I'm afraid of heights, why am I afraid of heights? Because I doubt my ability to survive falling off. And so what does that do? It causes division with tasks that require me to go high, right? Those three will always exist together. They never exist absent one another. And the enemy knows this, and that's what he tries to do. This is how he still kills and destroys. He still kills and destroys through fear, doubt, and division. He knows this. And so, again, what he seeks to do, understanding that our power comes from being connected to the Father and to one another, he seeks to isolate us. He seeks to make us feel and believe that we are alone, that we are divided, that we are separated, that we are cast out. Uh, And the main way that he does this, this is by far the main way that he does this. I have seen this ever since I was introduced to this understanding. I see it every day of my life. This is the main tool that he uses to destroy the body of Christ, to destroy anybody from even coming to know Jesus. Um, This is what he does. He comes into people's stories in a moment of vulnerability and or a moment of trauma. You can be vulnerable in a traumatic situation, but you can also be vulnerable in a triumphant situation, right? Vulnerability does not just come in when things are hard. It comes in at all times. And we're, unfortunately, we're not always subject to controlling when that vulnerability comes in. Ask a child. They can't control when they're vulnerable and when they're not. It's our job to control and make sure that we're understanding that they've just become vulnerable and now I've got to take care of this. Uh, But anyways, he comes into people's stories in a moment of vulnerability and or trauma. And most often we are children when he comes in and he whispers in our ear a lie. He whispers a lie about who you are. He, he, he issues you an I am statement. He sets you up for this I am statement. In this moment of vulnerability, this moment of trauma, he will whisper, oh, it's because you are this. And in that moment, this identity is picked up by us. Not, not always knowingly. It's always in the back of our mind, but our heart grabs a hold of it because we're vulnerable. 
We're looking for anything that seems solid that's going to make us feel secure. And he knows this and he speaks a lie to us. And it, this lie that we pick up, this identity that we pick up, this I am statement that didn't originate in the heart of God for us, but originated in the enemy's heart for us. We pick this statement up and guess what? Everything produce, everything with a name, everything with an identity will always produce fruit. Everything produces fruit. And this identity that we then pick up in this moment of vulnerability produces fruit. And this fruit is meant to isolate us from who we truly are and who we are meant for. This is what it does. This is the design. Because the devil, the, Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be in all the places at once. So he has got to figure out a system in which he can plant a seed and let the seed do the work while he goes off and does the rest of the stuff he needs to do. He's not walking with you every day of your life. The enemy can't do that. He's not, he, he can't just pop up on your shoulder with your guardian angel on the other shoulder. That's not how it works. He's not omnipresent. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere and in, in, in everything. The enemy is not. He can't be in all these places at once. He knows this. So what he does is he's created a strategy in which we can isolate ourselves from who we truly are meant to be and who we're meant for. Uh, and just look at the world. What is at the center of all the issues that we are currently facing right now? The one word that is at the very center uh, of the core of the problems that we face in, the, in society today is identity. To the point where people are now calling into question the physical, biological makeup of their identity. That you would call into question. When have we ever... I would have never imagined that we would have come to a place where people were actually questioning their gender. And I'm not trying to shame those people. I'm not trying to make them feel bad. My heart breaks. What, what would my life look like if that one truth was called into question? Then what, what solid foundation do these people have if the very makeup of their body is in question? Like, that's horrible, but this is what the enemy does. This is what the enemy does. It's a, it's a massive issue, and, and one of the main issues that we're facing right now as a country is who is, who is America now? Who are we? It's at the core of everything. You've got this divide of, of people, and it's not just one side and the other. It's not just two sides. There's multiple sides and a lot of different groups of people that have a different belief about this, and it's causing so much friction and so much trouble and so much turmoil and strife and dysfunction because we just can't simply answer this question as individuals and as a country of who are we? Who am I? Anything you desire to see corporately must first happen individually and anything you're seeing corporately has happened individually. So if the entirety of a country can't answer this question of who we are, it's because the people that make it up can't answer this question of who am I? Who am I? So let's, uh, again, let's look at Scripture. Uh, as, as major life change comes to key characters in Scripture, be, because the Lord calls them into His purposes uh, for them, the Lord calls these main key figures throughout Scripture uh, in, into their purpose that He has for them, Old Testament and New Testament, before the Holy Spirit was released and after the Holy Spirit is released. But He does the same thing. He calls these people in. Uh, to the purpose that he has had for them since the dawn of time. And what does he do in that moment of calling them in? He gives them a new name. Every time he gives them a new name. A name he has always had for them, but they didn't know until placed in his will 
for them. Until they came into the embrace of God, did they know the name that he had for them. So Genesis, uh, we'll start there at Genesis 17. Uh, This is 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of the sojournings all the land of, the, of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And then, so right there, Genesis 17, we see Abram to Abraham. Abram, and then he's called into the purposes and plans that God has for him. He's called into the will of God for his story. He becomes Abraham. Now, Genesis 32, verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of Jabbok, of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed, and there he blessed him. So now we see Jacob to Israel and, and we see this process. I love the story of Jacob because the second he's named Israel, all of a sudden the restoration of his story and the things that he's done up to this point that were not okay. Jacob means liar and deceiver. And Jacob was a liar and deceiver up to this point. And then all of a sudden, and you see this in, in, the, in chapter 34, you see this in his sons. They are also liars and deceivers. But you see through this process, after he's named Israel, you see this transformation of Jacob. You see this restoration brought to his life as he's restored to his brother Esau, as the Lord restores uh, his, his, his wealth and his title and all these different things. But he goes through this restoration process after he's given a new name. He's given a new name, Jacob to Israel. And now in Acts 9... We read about Paul in Acts 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. 
And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. And so then begins this journey and this transformation over the next several chapters, over the next two chapters really, uh, because he, he begins to answer completely and totally to the name of, or three chapters, I'm sorry, but he begins to totally and only answer to the name of Paul. This is the new name that he's been given throughout this. We, we also need to understand that Saul was so on fire for the Lord. This is just such a cool story. He was so on fire for the Lord, but the transition happened so quickly. Literally, the last time people saw him or heard about him, he was going to kill a lot of Christians, to bind them up, imprison them, and kill them. And then, then they see him for the first time, knowing what he's been sent there to do, and he's preaching the name of Jesus. The apostles, Barnabas had to take him away, not because he was bad, but because he was causing so much chaos because he was sent to kill the people that he was now preaching to. And they didn't know how to take it. Right? So it was just, it was wild. The guy that was responsible for genocide is now preaching the good news to the people he was seeking to kill. So he had to go away. And through this process, he becomes Paul, where he's sent away. He's gone for years. The Lord is just ministering to him and discipling him and transforming him. And him and Barnabas are together. And he comes back and he's Paul. And he is refined and he's on point. And man, he just begins to write the New Testament and totally transform lives left and right. So we see in Acts 9, 10 through 19, we see the beginning of Saul to Paul. And now in 1 John, or not 1 John, I'm sorry, John 1, 35, we see this. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which also means rock, which Peter would be as he, as he I mean, Peter, was, he, Peter gave the first, first message filled with the Spirit. He was the first one to preach, filled with the Spirit of God. He, he, because of Peter's obedience to the Spirit of God in that moment, the church was born. He was that rock. He was absolutely that. So we see Simon to Peter. So again, I'll ask this question. <clears throat> what is deliverance? Deliverance is the removal 
of a, of a false identity given by, by Satan, that an individual may receive their true identity from the Father. And within this identity is purpose, direction, and understanding. These are all discovered when we understand who the Lord has called us to be. Uh, and the deliverance ministry is the practice of getting people to this place of freedom and truth through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're going to go through. There, over, over many years, this is, not, this is not something that we found in a book. This is uh, besides the Word of God. But it's, this is not something that we found in a, in a Google search. Um, all, of the, all of the things that we will learn through this, because there is a process that, we ha that has been refined by the Holy Spirit uh, as we've sought to do this ministry over the last 15 years, there's been a process that He has shown on how to peel back all the layers of a person's story that we could expose that which is not of God that has been rooted in them. The, the deliverance ministry really operates uh, on this simple analogy, this simple truth. You cannot change an apple tree by holding an orange to it. If I have an apple tree and I duct tape an orange to one of the branches, it doesn't become an orange tree. It is defined to produce a specific fruit, not by the branches, not by the leaves, not by the bark, not by the trunk, but by the roots. That which is unseen, deep within the surface, is what defines the fruit that is produced. So, so much of psychology, I can say this with confidence because my wife is a psychologist, so much of psychology is meant to transform and focus on behavioral modification. And when that fails, and nothing against this because behavioral modification is sometimes the absolute answer. Uh, we, and we've got pills that can alter chemistry that is necessary in a lot of instances. So I am not putting down or, or, or stepping on or trying to make less psychology. That's not what this is at all. But when we look at this at, from the point that all of us are spiritual beings first, We've got to understand that there is a root cause for these things. And the behaviors, the actions, attitudes, and behaviors are a fruit of a root. And deliverance ministry is the process in which we get to that root to allow the Holy Spirit to plant something that exists within His heart for these people instead of that which exists in the heart of the enemy for these people. And so this is what this study is going to be. It is a very practical, applicable study. This is something that each each night, each Wednesday when we study this, the intent is that you could then go and immediately put it into practice with the people around you. Not even in conversation, but you can begin to visualize. There's a lot of visual examples. There's going to be a lot of drawings. Uh, that's going to be tough for those listening online. Um, but those drawings, uh, we've put them on our website before. We'll have them on our website again so that you can kind of see in real time, as, as you're listening to me, you can see the drawings that I'm talking about and articulating. Um, but there's just a lot within this process that is all meant to get to the heart of what this root lie is that you believed uh, unknowingly and in a moment when you were absolutely a victim and the enemy attacked you and he does it to children because children are honest, they're innocent, they're, uh, and they're, they're simple. They just don't know, and they'll believe anything. And, and so he knows this. So he attacks the innocent of youth, the innocence of our youth. I can tell you right now, uh, through the, and 
So much of this, though, before I continue on, so much of this, we have processes, we have, we have diagrams, we have drawings that you can take people through, step-by-step process. But if the Holy Spirit is not a part of this, when you're, when you're walking somebody through this, you will never find the answer. This is, this is something that can only be done when one ear is here listening to these people and listening to their stories, and one ear is in heaven listening to the reality of what they're talking about. Because the, 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 the Father, the, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the only ones that truly know. We talked about it Sunday, fully known and fully loved. They fully know this person. And to understand the root and to get to the root, you have to listen to someone who fully knows them. That, that knows them better than they know them. Oftentimes, it's the Holy Spirit that leads somebody to what the lie is, not their own discovery. I have, I actually, I have never in my entire life and in my entire uh, walking through this for the last 10 years, I have never, ever seen someone under, know their lie without revelation from the Holy Spirit. He always leads us there. And every single time he does, he also provides that which needs to replace that void in which we're pulling it out. If you pull out a tree, if you uproot a tree, what are you left with? A massive hole in a big mess. And if nothing is put back there, a massive hole in a big mess will be all that remains. You have to put back that which is from the Lord, that what, what, uh, that space is now created uh, by uprooting that, that lie can be filled by the presence and goodness of God and the truth that is, a, that is for this person that their life can then begin to take shape in the way that the Lord saw fit for it at the dawn of time, at the beginning of creation. Um, and I can tell you right now, the enemy does this. He comes after kids. Uh, my lie was in a moment of great success for me personally as a little kid. I'll never forget it. But the enemy, or the, the enemy, the Lord had to show me that moment. Because I couldn't figure it out for years. Couldn't figure it out. It wasn't until I was sitting in the office with Randy, already hired to be a youth pastor, where I actually understood uh, what my lie was in the moment that it took place. And everything about my life, I can look at that day and everything from that moment on was different. Everything from that moment on was different. I had wild and amazing success as a 13-year-old And then every moment after that, all I could do was sabotage and put myself in situations where I could not find success by my own making forever because I believed that I am broken and the best way to make sure people don't know that I'm broken is to just break the thing that I'm in as a choice because then they're like, oh, Parker chose to do this. It's not a reflection of who he is. He just chose to do it because in that way I was guarded. So that's the complexity of the stuff that we're dealing with. And so many people, I've had so many people in my office that are in their 50s, in their 60s, when this truth and revelation comes. This is for everyone. But what it's also profound, what's also profound and amazing about this is that when you know this, then you can raise kids up that never have to deal with a false identity because they know who the Lord has called them to be. Because once I know the process and understand deliverance ministry, how the enemy works and how the Lord works and what he's seeking to do and how he's created us and how he's wired us and different things like that, once I understand that truth, I now understand how to navigate and protect those around me from what the enemy would seek to do. I can recognize moments of vulnerability in my kids 
And I can make sure that in those moments of vulnerability, life is spoken into them, not death. Because it can come from the simplest situation. I have a friend uh, whose, whose daughter was uh, competing in uh, a track meet. And I, I, I ran track. Um, if someone says it looks like you're... I, looks like your legs got heavy when you're during a race what are they saying it just looks like you you hit that wall and you started to get slower you started to struggle a little bit he said this to his daughter man just looked around that last 200 like your legs got heavy normal statement but what did the enemy speak it's because you're fat so her father who meant nothing by it But in a moment of vulnerability, the enemy took and manipulated words that would transform her and then lead her to a lot of issues down the road. And she's freed from that. Praise God. But that's the reality of what we're dealing with. We as Christians need to be well prepared and well educated on how to navigate this, that we could put a stop to this ridiculous. I mean, because what comes after this? What comes after the point that we're in as a country? If people are questioning their genders, what comes after that? Where else do we go? I mean, we've got kids. This is traumatic. I'm, I, I don't like to laugh at this stuff. I don't like to make light of this stuff. But we have kids in public schools that when they go to the bathroom, they go to the bathroom in a litter box because they identify with an animal. They identify as a cat. They're called furries. They have a name. It's like... What? That our minds have been so twisted and so corrupted that that's, people have stooped that. And we have adults that are like, I praise you. I'm so proud of your bravery. It's like, you should be in jail, one, and not ever allowed to speak again because not, you're not doing anything good for anybody else. But this is the reality of what we're dealing with. When blind people lead a generation, you just lead them into further darkness. That's it. We've got an entire generation of adults that are just willingly leading kids into shark-infested waters. Happy to do it for the sake of relevant truth and opinion. Uh, So this is, there's never been a time, in my opinion, where this understanding of deliverance has been more important and more crucial for the believer to understand. So that's what we're getting into This series, I'm super excited about it. It's profound. Again, you'll hear because so much of this is tied to who Sundown Church is and just our foundation as a church. You'll hear some of this stuff taught on Sundays, but you will not hear, you will not, we will not get into the depth of of this stuff uh, on Sundays like we will on Wednesday nights. Like I said, there's going to be visual representations and understanding. We're going through the whole shebang. I'm really excited. I I attended many of Randy's trainings on this ministry. Uh, So I'm excited for the first time to get to lead it for myself. I'm just really excited what the Lord's going to do through this and the freedom that he's going to bring to our city uh, because more people know this and live it out.